Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. Our prayer is that you too would experience his presence and hear his voice for yourself. Please enjoy this week's message by our senior leader, Pastor Jamie's wife, Pastor Nicole Van Gelder. I thank you because you are here with us, and you're so good. Lord, I can never get enough of worshiping you. The fact that we get to come into your presence so freely, I can't wrap my head around it, Lord. But you're so good. You're so merciful. You're so kind and faithful, and you are holy, and yet you make a way for us to be with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you, Lord. I pray that this morning there would be a new level of freedom that would come into our hearts, that you would align our minds with heaven, that you would connect us to your ways. Lord, that we might truly live as free people, worthy of the sacrifice that was made so that we could. Lord, just bless us this morning. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am talking about freedom today um, and what that means because it is for freedom that Christ set us free. You know, we just got to celebrate that at the end of worship there, and I found myself teary, which isn't a shock. I cry through worship often, but just realizing what the Lord set me free from. Like, I don't know if you guys ever have those moments, but where you, you know, you go about and you know the Lord and you get to walk in his goodness and it almost becomes commonplace. And then you pause and you remember. You remember what the Lord actually did. What an amazing thing that he would pay such a price so that we can be free. And his freedom doesn't come with strings. You know, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. There is a love that we can only begin to comprehend when we talk about how the Lord loves us. But the good news is that we get to experience it for eternity. And I am convinced that we will forever forever, 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 just be amazed more and more by how good God actually is. Amen. You guys should be excited about that. All right. So we're talking about freedom today, but it might look a little different than you expect. And we're going to start out by looking at the life of one of my ultimate heroes. I have, um, you know, several biblical heroes that I admire. I look forward to getting to know them in heaven someday. Um, just can't wait to go hang out with them. Like, what do you think Moses is actually like? You know, and John the Baptist, some of these like crazy, wild people that I have in my imagination. You know, I have a feeling they might be a little different than what I have imagined. Um, but one of my ultimate heroes is Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of King Saul, and he amazes me. Every story about him amazes me, and the reason is because he lived his life in service of other people. Other people were better because he was around them. The nation of Israel was better because of Jonathan. Do you guys know people like that? You get to be in the room with them, and you're better because they're there. Like they go throughout life and things just are better because of their presence. That's the type of person that Jonathan was. And he's the type of person, that's the type of person I aspire to be. Um, but he is amazing and I'm going to tell you why. But first let me just give you a little backstory. Now I will tell you that I love history. I get to homeschool my kids and I focus a lot on history which they love, even though they don't realize it sometimes. <laughs> so I'm going to do you all a favor, and I'm going to condense this a little bit for you. I'll keep it short. 
But I want to picture, I want you to picture yourself in this story as I'm telling it, okay? So this time period in Israel's history is one where they are a nation, they are in the promised land, they have experienced God's faithfulness and goodness, but it has been cyclical where they have lived in freedom and then they have retreated because of the people around them coming against them. So what would happen is they would experience victory, they'd be, you know, living their lives, things would be going well, they would be serving the Lord, and then they would forget about the Lord, they would start to serve other gods, and inevitably, things would not go well. Then they would experience oppression from the neighboring nations and people groups around them, and each time they would retreat. They would retreat back into caves and dens and strongholds, rocky places where the enemy couldn't get to them easily. And when that would happen, the enemy would be free to take their crops. So one of the people groups that they would have problems with was the Philistines. You would have heard of them if you've spent time in the Old Testament, but they had repeated problems with the Philistines. And they would have judges that the Lord would raise up They would lead the people. They would win battles on behalf of the nation of Israel. They would speak to the people on behalf of the Lord. They would settle disputes. But they didn't have a king. And this was by design because the Lord was their king. So this was kind of the cycle that was happening, though, where they would experience victory and peace, and it would last usually for about the life of the judge however long they would rule, and then they would go back to their own ways, and then they would become an oppression again, and and it was just this cycle. So they get to the point, Israel does, where they say, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. They have kings. We want a king. We want somebody who can war on our behalf. We want the security, the prosperity that comes with a king. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he chooses this man named Saul. And one of the amazing promises that is given when the Lord chooses Saul is that he says, Saul is going to be used to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And this is a great promise because the Philistines were taking their crops. Once again, Israel had retreated into the dens and caves and strongholds to live. They were facing an enemy that vastly outnumbered them. Not only did the Philistines outnumber them, but they were also outarmed them. The Bible tells us that in this time there were no blacksmiths in all of Israel, and this was the doing of the Philistines. The Philistines knew that if they had blacksmiths, they would have swords. They didn't want them to have swords. So instead, the only blacksmiths to be found actually were among the Philistines. So Israel would have to go to the Philistines to have their plows sharpened, to have their axes and tools sharpened. They didn't have the ability to do it themselves. So in this time, there's only two people in the whole nation of Israel that have swords, and that's Saul and his son Jonathan, right? Can you kind of feel what it would be like to be in that day, (laughs) what it would feel like to be an Israelite? So I'm about to tell a story of one of the battles that Israel and the Philistines faced. So Saul is now king, and he's going to face the uh, Philistines in battle. But the other thing that you should know about this moment is that the army of the of Israel is about 600 people, and they were afraid. Like the Bible, I think, says they were trembling. I don't remember if that was the exact word, but they, they were not all feeling extra brave. And the reason for this is because they had an army of hundreds, and they had two people with swords, and they were facing an army of thousands And not only were they better equipped with swords and they were outnumbered by them, but they also had chariots. Okay, so you kind of get this picture of these two armies. These two armies now are encamped and there are cliffs separating them. So here's Israel, let's say, on this side and they have to go down a steep cliff and then up another cliff to face the Philistines and they're just kind of encamped, waiting for battle, but nobody really knows what's gonna happen. And that's where Jonathan steps in. 
<laughs> I love Jonathan. I've spoken about him many times before, so hopefully you love him too. I apologize if you don't. But um, I think one of the reasons that I love him, besides just, you know, obviously the character he had, but is because I always picture him as kind of a surfer slash snowboarder slash skateboarder. I don't know if you guys have ever been around those populations. I don't know if you guys are those populations. I haven't spent a lot of time around a lot of surfers. You know, my dream of living on the beach never really came about. So, but I have spent quite a bit of time with snowboarders and skateboarders. I'm married like this nerdy little skateboarder, <laughs> you know? But anyway, I digress. Sorry, babe, by the way, you're obviously not a nerdy little skateboarder. Okay. Um, <laughs> but Jamie has always, you know, that's kind of been something that he's always enjoyed, and I've learned to love it also. And when we lived in Germany, he would go snowboarding regularly in the Swiss Alps, and there was like a group of guys that they would go, and it was, you know, the Swiss Alps, so it's mountains. It's not Buck Hill. No offense to Buck. It's not Buck Hill, and they would not, like, stay out of the backcountry. They would go in the backcountry, and they would have these adventures, and every single trip, and I am not even exaggerating, every single trip, they would come home, and they would be like, oh, that was so great. Yeah, we almost died this one time. And then they would proceed to tell the story of how they almost died. Now, I appreciate Jamie tremendously because he has a lot of athletic skill, and so he is pretty good about not dying. <laughs> but he also will at least pause for a moment and consider, like, could this lead to my death? You know, and, and if he thinks it's going to, he doesn't do it. But what I've learned is that not all snowboarders are like this. They don't all pause. They just jump in. And I used to think it was just like arrogance or I don't know what I thought really, but I think now that it's just that they don't, they're not really thinking about what's to come. They're just enjoying the moment, you know? And so like they have these incredible epic adventures where they almost die because they're just going for it. And that's how I think of Jonathan, except for that Jonathan isn't just going for it. He is going for it mixed with faith. Because here's the situation. Israel facing this army that vastly outnumbers them. They're encamped. They're all kind of waiting. And as they're waiting, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and he's like, hey, what if we just go over, see what happens? Like, you, you with me? Like, and he says this amazing statement where he says... You know, God isn't restrained. He can, he can win by many or by few. Like, God can have victory with a huge army or with a couple people against a huge army. It doesn't matter to the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're outnumbered. It doesn't matter if you're out-armed. Like, so he just is like, hey, let's go over and just see what could happen. And the armor bearer says, yeah, I'm with you. Like, let's go. What you're saying is good. And so they go over, they have to climb down this cliff, climb up another cliff. They kind of talk about this plan of what will be the sign if the Lord's going to deliver the Philistines into their hands. And, and things fall into place. But I just love that Jonathan is just like, hey, who knows? Maybe God will give us victory. You know, like, I feel like in that situation, I'd be like, yeah, but maybe he won't. Like, who knows? Yeah, he might. But also, we could die. Let's think about this for a little bit, right? But that's not the kind of faith that Jonathan had. And he was willing to risk for the sake of others. And so this is what happens. 1 Samuel 14, 13 through 23. Um, again, this isn't the whole story. If you want all of it, you, you should read it. It's a good one. But it says, Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. And they, speaking of the Philistines, fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer puts him to death after him. 
That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half a furrow of an acre of land. And this is the part that I want you to get. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. Okay, do you get this picture? They go, and they have this improbable victory, but it's still small. You're talking about a very small number compared to an army of thousands. But what happens? This great trembling starts. Now Saul's watchmen looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Number now, and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. Then Saul said, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. Okay, so do you get what's happening? They see this trembling. They see the army melting away. And Saul's trying to figure out what's going on, who's missing. Of course, it's his son. He should know this probably by now. I bet Jonathan has something to do with it, right? And so he's trying to figure out what's going on. And he's asking for the Ark of the Covenant because he's going to inquire of the Lord what he should do. And as he's doing this, (laughs) um, it says, uh, well, Saul talked to the priests. The commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. So that's the Philistine swords against each other. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And when all the men of Israel who were, had hidden themselves in the hill country heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day and the battle spread. All right, Jonathan's faith, his actions brought about not just a victory for himself, but it brought about a corporate victory for Israel. It rallied people. It caused the battle to spread, which may not seem like a victory, but it is. And this is a turning point, and it's all because of Jonathan's faith and his actions. This is the type of person that Jonathan was. He would take risk on himself for the benefit of other people. He would act in faith without considering the cost to himself. When he says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go and see. Maybe, you know, God will give us victory. We don't know what could happen, but we know that he could give us victory. Like, he's not 100% certain of what's going to happen. He's just willing to go because he knows that there's a possibility that it could be the breakthrough that's needed. That's amazing. (laughs) Jonathan was the type of person that benefited the people around him corporately and individually. Another famous example of this is his friendship with David. I'm not going to take time to read about this. It's famous. I'm sure you've heard about it. But I will tell you (laughs) that I think that Jonathan's relationship with David was more instrumental in David's path to the throne than we often give credit for. All right, so Saul is the king, he's the first king, but he has lost his kingdom. He's still reigning, but he makes choices that are not in alignment with God's ways. And the Lord says very clearly, the kingdom is not going to remain with you. It's going to be taken out of your hands, and it's going to be given to a man that is after my own heart. Now, who's that man? It's David. David, the man after God's own heart, though, is just a shepherd boy, right? And so he is anointed to be the next king, but there is a process, a long process, between when he is anointed king and when he becomes king. And someone who is instrumental in that process is Jonathan. And this is amazing because Jonathan is the one who should have been the heir to the throne, If things had gone the way they should have, (laughs) 
Saul would have ruled, he would have ruled well, he would have established and strengthened the kingdom even more than it had been, and he would have established a throne and a rule of succession that would have led right to Jonathan. But that's not how it happens, and if anybody has the right to be frustrated, to be bitter, (laughs) to be sad about the turn of events, it's Jonathan. But instead, what does Jonathan do? He loves David. He loves him, and he makes a covenant with him. The covenant that Jonathan makes with David is marked by Jonathan giving David his robe, his sword, and his armor. Now, this is one of the two swords, right? He's giving him his robe, and he's giving him his armor. He is preparing him to have the role that should have been rightfully Jonathan's. You know, one time when I was reading about this, and I don't remember which author it was, so I can't credit him, but he said something about how, you know, Samuel had anointed David on behalf of the Lord, saying, you're going to be the king. You're going to be the next one. God's chosen you. But there was still this process of him having to grow in authority, in favor with God and man, right? Even Jesus, the Bible tells us, grew in favor with God and with man. So do you know that just because you have a prophetic word or promise over your life, that doesn't mean that you're actually ready for it or even going to get it if you don't go through the process of preparation. (laughs) Because you need not just that promise for someday, but you need to actually go through the process so that you can be prepared for whatever it is that you need. And part of that process is growing in favor with God and with man. And so this is what Jonathan does is David has been chosen by the Lord, but Jonathan does his part to authorize David for the throne. Like He takes what was his and he gives it to David. And in doing so, he's not just making his own covenant with David, although he certainly is, but he is publicly, publicly signaling to other people that this is the one. <laughs> this is the one. You should trust his authority. He's the one. He's going to be the king. And this is amazing because not even Saul... Saul, who knew he had screwed up, who knew the kingdom was being taken from him, not even Saul was able to do that. Saul was trying to kill David, (laughs) but Jonathan serves him. He willingly lays down his own rights for him. Why did he do that? The Bible tells us that Jonathan loved David as himself. So I have a question for you. What's the greatest commandment? Do better than the first service because they didn't know either. Come on, you guys know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Good job, good job. Okay, what's the second greatest commandment? Good job. You guys turned it around. You get your gold stars. Way to go. Okay. (laughs) So the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is what Jonathan was doing. The Bible says that he loved David as himself. The fact that he did this was the same type of trembling that had happened in that battle against the Philistines, but it had one with even greater repercussions. Because when David, excuse me, when Jonathan aligned his heart with David, when he laid down his own rights for the sake of David's, he wasn't just benefiting David's life, but he was actually benefiting all of Israel because David was a great king. In fact, we get to experience the fruit of David's life even today, right? And that can be credited at least partly back to Jonathan because he loved David as himself. In Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, it says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. 
Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. All right, have you guys ever experienced this before where you have the best intentions, but your actions don't match? Is that just me? Right? Like, you have the best intentions. My heart for my kids is good. Like, I want the best for them. I in no way want to harm my children, ever. But sometimes my actions don't line up with my intentions, right? Sometimes I say careless words. Like, I, I could correct them in a gentler way, you know? And I'm not talking about anything crazy. But, you know, we snap at our kids. Or we, we know that we should be serving them in some way, but we just don't want to. You know, like, the people around us, we have opportunities every day to be benefiting the people around us by serving them. And I have the best intentions to do that. I want the grocery store to feel happier when I leave because I was there, you know? But sometimes I don't wanna talk to anybody at the grocery store, right? Like, I think that self-checkouts are awesome, <laughs> you know? Like, it's hard to have the two coexist because I have the best intentions, but sometimes I just don't feel like it, right? These are my two natures warring inside of me. We've all experienced this. <laughs> when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. All right, I tried to read that list of sinful desires kind of slowly because sometimes we can read through lists like this and feel good about the places where we're not guilty and just kind of skip over the things that maybe would convict us, right? <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> right? So chances are that there have been, you know, times in your recent life where you maybe have felt some of these things where you have maybe been jealous or envious, where you've had some selfish ambition, where you have had an outburst of anger or felt hostility, <laughs> right? Where you've been involved with quarreling, right? <laughs> this is a hard list. It should be a hard list to read through, to hear the statement after that about how anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, what do we do? Well, there's two things. The first one is use your freedom to serve one another in love. You know, the beginning of this chapter, which I didn't read, is where it says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, don't be yoked again to a burden of slavery, right? Like, what are you supposed to do with your freedom? Your freedom isn't for you to live with wild abandon. Like, Yes, the Lord set you free because he wants you to be free. And there's no other agenda for him than that. You're free. Like, you are free, 
<laughs> you're free because of what Jesus did. You should be excited about that. There's a couple of you that are. Yes. <laughs> Teresa, I see you. <laughs> like, you should be excited because you are free. But what you do with your freedom matters so much because if you spend it in the wrong way, you're going to find out that you're enslaved so quickly all over again, and you're going to be worse off than you were before. <laughs> Because you're supposed to be using your freedom to serve one another in love. And that word serve there, it means yield to, to give your, oneself up to. Okay, so this isn't just being kind, it's beyond that. It is preferring another over yourself. It requires sacrifice. You know, it's easy to be kind from the overflow, it's easy to be kind when things go well and you're in a good mood and you're feeling happy and you have a little extra cash in your pocket. Like, it's easy to share then. <laughs> but you are supposed to be doing more than that. When it talks about using your freedom to serve one another in love, it's about choosing to put others before yourself. The Amplified Version says it like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is, you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. An unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. It's so easy to be selfish even when you love people <laughs> and not even realize that you're doing it. This is the way that Jonathan loved David this is the way that Jesus loves us. <laughs> he sacrificed his life. There was nothing that he held back because of his love for you. There is no greater love that you will ever find. <laughs> and you know what? It's the way we're supposed to love others too. The question though is how do we do that? Because as we talked about, we can have the best of intentions, but there's this war happening. So how can we actually love people? How can we have our actions match with our intentions? It's actually a lot easier than it seems. And the answer is right in this passage. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So it's about walking by the spirit, by the breath of God, by what he's saying, by a daily connection to him. This isn't walking by religion. It's not walking by, hey, I come to church on Sundays and I get filled up and that's enough. This is about a current reality of being connected to the Lord, listening to him, aligning your heart with heaven, and living out of that place. Because when you live out of that place, it's amazing how you change. <laughs> how you change, how the way you see changes, how your motivations change, how your actions change. I want you to notice that the results of the sinful nature are all selfish. So sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, division, dissension, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, okay? None of those things are things that you do when you are thinking about how to make life better for other people, <laughs> right? They are all selfish. They are all, I am thinking about myself. I'm looking out for my own pleasure. I, you know, I'm not thinking about other people. I am just thinking about myself. And this, by the way, is why they are contrary to God's ways, it's not that God, you know, one day said, hey, I'm going to make an arbitrary list of what sin is. And these are the things that people just can't do. You know, this isn't your, if you went to, you know, a Baptist college like I did, this isn't the no cards, no dances, like type of list, right? None of you went there? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> 
But there are lists that we make that are arbitrary, and that isn't what the Lord did. He wasn't creating a list of sin to test you and go, hey, these are things you're going to want to do, but I'm just going to tell you not to because I'm powerful and I can do that. Like, that's not what it is. The reason that it's sin is because it's all contrary to God's ways because God is not selfish. <laughs> if there is anybody that has the right to be selfish, it is the Lord, worthy of our praise. Like, the one who is the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Like, if there is anyone who has the right not to live in sacrificial love, it would be them, right? And yet, the Father didn't even withhold his only son because he loves us. Jesus didn't try to save his own life, but he went to the cross because he loves his Father and because he loves you. There's no greater love than laying down your life and heaven is not selfish. So it's impossible to be walking by the Spirit and to be living a selfish life because that's not how the Spirit operates. The fruit of the Spirit is all in contrast. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of those things are selfish. If you live with those things, people around you are going to be better. And I'm going to tell you a little tip. If you have ever attempted to do this like I have, you know, you memorize the scripture, you do Bible studies on the fruit of the Spirit, you decide that you're going to become all of these things. You're going to cultivate them in your life. But yet, somehow, they don't grow. This is my experience. I'm going to do this. I'm going to become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to study the scripture and I'm going to memorize it. Like all of those things are good things, right? But they don't actually of themselves produce change because the fruit of the spirit is the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of you. It's not going to be produced by your own power. You can decide to be more patient, and you will be for a period of time until something happens that screws up your plans, right? Like, until all of a sudden you don't have the strength to be patient on your own power anymore. And then you're going to fail, and you're going to wonder why you're failing, because it's not supposed to be you. It's supposed to be the Spirit. The way you grow these things... <laughs> is your connection with the Holy Spirit. This is why when you walk with the Lord, you should become a better person. And if you have known the Lord for a period of time and you look at your life soberly and you think, I haven't gotten any better, then I want to tell you you're missing out. You may have found religion. I'm not saying you don't know Jesus and that you're not saved, but you are probably trying <laughs> to live from a religious viewpoint instead of a connection to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he will lead you and teach you and guide you. He will convict you. He will change you. And these fruit will actually become authentic in your life. You're not going to overnight become perfect. But you're going to grow and you're going to change. The best advice I can give to anybody when they talk about getting married is to marry somebody who loves Jesus. <laughs> Someone who loves Jesus. And the reason is because if they love Jesus, they're going to change. You're going to go through hard times sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm not predicting gloom. It's just life. But you're going to come through it, and the change is going to lead to better things because that's what happens with Jesus. <laughs> Jamie, who I thought was amazing when I married him, and he was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> But he loves me today so much better than he did 26 years ago. And the reason isn't because he's learned a thing or two about marriage, although he has. You know, he's learned things like, bring me coffee in the morning and I love you. <laughs> like, my love grows every time that happens, right? 
Like he's learned things. And it's good, but the reason why he loves me so well is because he's been being transformed the entire 26 years that we're married. Because he's been walking with the Lord. Because he loves the Lord and he walks according to the Spirit. And I think if you asked him, he would say the same is true about me. Like we're a work in progress. We're not perfect. But we have these characteristics in our life that would not be able to exist if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I had a difficult correction to my thinking. I'm going to share this, and then we will land the plane. <laughs> but um, when we started the church, we had just had, like, the same month the church started, we had our third child, and we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't even mean to start a church. If you haven't heard that story, we don't have time for it right now. But in those days... You know, we were just kind of figuring it out as we went along. We lived in Belle Plaine, so we were about 45 minutes to an hour from, like, anything that we were doing ministry-wise. I was home with kids most of the time. Like, I participated, and, you know, and it was wonderful, but I spent a lot of time at home while Jamie was doing things with the prayer room or doing, th like, conferences and things like that. And I wasn't upset about it at all because the Lord had promised me like, very clearly, he just said, don't worry, you're not going to miss anything. Anything Jamie receives, you receive too. Like, don't worry about it, you know? So there were moments where I was like, oh, that would have been nice, you know? But I was really honestly content. I'm sharing that because what I didn't realize that I had in my heart was this idea that someday it was going to be my turn. And I don't mean, like not Jamie's turn, because Jamie's always been really amazing at like including me and, and factoring me in, and we live life as a team and together and all of that. But we, you know, we're figuring stuff out, and there's things that I had in my heart that it just wasn't time for, and, and I was just like waiting until it was my turn. You know, and as, as the church is being established, Jamie knows that he's supposed to be picking up dreams of the people from the generation above us, that, that we have, like, this is what we're supposed to live for. We're supposed to be connecting our hearts to these people that the Lord's put in our lives, and we're supposed to be living out not our dreams, but their dreams. And that's what we did. I mean, like... Jamie is so amazing this way, and, and he hopefully will have more opportunity to share some of these stories, because I know he hasn't shared them all publicly, but he's so good about coming alongside people from the generations above us, connecting to their hearts and finding ways to serve them and to, to help fulfill dreams that they weren't able to fulfill themselves. And I love that, but what I didn't realize was that I thought at some point it would be our turn for our dreams, right? We're trying to fulfill other people's dreams, but I got some dreams. And Jamie and I are having this conversation one day, and this happened in many different layers over years, but, but I remember this one time specifically where we're talking about something, and I don't even remember the exact words that are exchanged, but I basically said something like, yeah, but then, uh, and then it'll be kind of like our turn. Or something like that, right? Like, and then it's going to be our turn. And he just looked at me and he goes, no, babe. Like, it's never going to be our turn. Like, we're, we're serving this. We're doing these things. But then, as soon as we can, like, this is about the next generation. It's not about us. It's not going to be our turn. And I was floored. <laughs> and I was mad. What do you mean it's not going to be my turn? Like, I waited patiently. <laughs> I'm not forcing my way. I'm not whatever, you know. And the Lord began to speak to me, too, and do this work in my heart. And he spoke to me through Jonathan. This is one of the reasons why the story of Jonathan is so dear to me. Because he did just say to me so clearly through that story, like, this is how you're supposed to live. It wasn't ever Jonathan's turn, and it's not going to be your turn either. Because in the kingdom, it's not about you. It's always about other people. When your heart is aligned with heaven, you use advantages and opportunities that come your way to benefit others. 
You're not selfishly hoarding them for yourself. You're not forcing your own way. But you lay your life down for the sake of another. And there is no other way to keep your heart pure before God. <laughs> By the way, this doesn't mean that you don't ever get anything. The Lord's so good. <laughs> He's so good, but you don't have to worry about it. He's going to take care of you. His eye is on you. He sees you. He knows the dreams of your heart. He knows the people that you should be connected to and aligned to. And there's some dreams that you're going to get to experience coming true in your life. But you know what? Some of the dreams in your heart aren't for you. They're so that you can make a way for somebody else to experience that. <laughs> And if your heart gets aligned with heaven, the good news is that it doesn't feel painful, but it feels like an honor. If Jonathan were standing here today, I am confident that he would not regret any of his choices around David. In fact, I can guarantee that he would say what an honor it was that he got to participate in David's life, right? He gets to reap the legacy of David's kingdom because of the way that he positioned himself. This is the way that we're supposed to live. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege and it's an honor. <laughs> so I'm gonna close, but I do wanna mention something. This summer, I had the amazing honor of working with our kids and youth team. You know, I've, I get to work with them from a distance quite a bit, but this summer as we were praying about the season and, and just asking for wisdom for the church, um, I began having these dreams. Years ago, the Lord gave me dreams. I mean literal dreams, not just dreams in my heart, like I would fall asleep and get a dream type of dream. And they, they ended up being about our kids' ministry, and then we had different prophetic voices, Cindy Jacobs and some others that would come in, and they gave us these amazing prophetic words about our kids. And we've just been holding on to them, you know, waiting, knowing that the Lord has plans, but, you know, trying to figure out how to steward them, how to partner with them. And so this spring, I started having dreams again, and we were praying into it. And I just want to tell you that I feel like the opportunity for our congregation to right now lay our lives down for the sake of the next generation is ripe. Like, I think it's the moment. I think there's a trembling that's starting. So I've been working with our kids and youth team, and we've kind of restructured some things, and some people have stepped into some new positions. In fact, today is the fall kickoff for the kids, so they've had a carnival. If you see the balloons and excited children running around, that's why. But I'm mentioning this to you because I think that our church is not supposed to be living for us. And obviously, we're supposed to be living for our neighbors and, you know, the generation above us and, and all the people around us. But I think we have a unique calling and invitation from the Lord to lay our lives down for the sake of the generation after us. There is, yes, there is a rumbling. There is a rumbling that has started. And I think it's just the start of it. And I think if we actually participate with what the Lord's going to do, that we're going to see a great shaking that's going to happen. And it's going to be so much better than us <laughs> trying to make our own dreams come true because we're going to see things fulfilled and surpassed in the next generation. So if you haven't found a way to be pouring in, I want to encourage you. Find a way to connect, whether it's here or somewhere else, although I do encourage you, the team here is amazing and you will love it, but be a part of what God's doing because as you sacrifice, you'll find that there is an amazing result for it. All right, I am gonna actually close now, so if you guys can stand. In closing, I want to, Say something very clear, just in case it wasn't clear enough. It's not your turn. <laughs> yeah, it's not your turn. It's not going to be your turn because it's not about you. I don't know if that's a hard word or not, but I know that if you receive it, that you'll find your life with an amazing sense of purpose that you will find that it is an honor and a privilege to lay down your life for other people. 
because the ways of the kingdom do not work like the ways of the world. Abundant life is found when you lay your life down. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives. All right, so I'm just gonna invite you to pray with me. Thank you, Father. Thank you that your ways are higher than our ways and that you call us to live in a greater way than we could understand or choose on our own. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to have the strength on our own to do things, but that you, <laughs> that you are with us, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you strengthen us and empower us, that you teach us, Lord, you anoint us. So Lord, I just ask right now that you would bring grace and mercy and abundance to everyone in this room, especially those who may be struggling with this word. And Lord, I ask that you would just increase our faith so that we would trust you, that we'd know that you're with us, that you see us, that you care, that we don't have to advocate on our behalf because you've done that, you're doing it. But instead, we can be using our life, our resources, our connection to you for the benefit of others. Lord, I ask that you would anoint our eyes, that you would open them, that we would be able to see others the way that you do. That when there's a David standing in front of us, that we wouldn't just see this little shepherd boy, but that we would see the king that you have called him to be. Oh, Lord, give us opportunity to partner with heaven in ways that matter for all of eternity. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us so well. Help us to love people like you do. Help us to be like you, Father. And Lord, I just thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for this amazing group of people who love you well and love each other. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would bless them, that they would feel your favor, your countenance upon them, that there would be joy in their lives this week, Father, because of your presence. Lord, I ask that you'd give them a sensitivity to your presence and that you'd give them a grace to walk according to your ways and in connection with you. So just thank you, Father, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It is our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or by sharing it with your friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love for you to connect with our community. Please visit ithehouse.org for more information. See you next week.